welcome to Second Cherry, almost a Eurovision podcast. This is the Eurovision Song Contest 2021 review. Hello and welcome to Second Cherry. I'm Monty. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that usually revives the songs that didn't make it to the Eurovision Song Contest. Each week we take you through a different country's national final and we pick the song that we think deserves a second chance, a second bite of the cherry. At the end of the series, you, our listeners, vote for your favourites. And at our live event later in the year, we crown the winner of the Second Cherry Song Contest. Hello, Monty. Hello, listeners. How are you doing, first of all? Hello, Matt. I'm very well, thank you. And hello, listeners. <laughs> How are you at home? <laughs> or wherever you may be, because it's a podcast. You can take us out. You yeah. Can. You could be on the bus sitting next to an old woman. You could be walking along a towpath somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're doing. Whatever you do. <laughs> we hope you're well. Um, and well, I hope you're not doing that. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> but this is so this is our bonus episode that is going to review the Eurovision that has just been the 2021 edition. Now we are saying a bit of a special hello because um, we want to welcome our new listeners, which we know there could be quite a few of you now, because those new listeners who have found us through podcast radio uh, that we're now part of. So um, if you like us, great. If you don't, well, we wish you a mild inconvenience to your day. So Yes, if you're new to the podcast, uh, whichever route you found us, then you're very welcome to us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Um, it, I think, I mean, we do have a few new listeners and this is... This is the third season of our podcast now, but Second Cherry has been around since 2006. So for those of you who are just joining us, Second Cherry is a, a contest where we give a second chance to songs that tried but didn't make it to Eurovision. We have held 11 live finals. Uh, last year, we had to do an unlive final, a dead final. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we had to do a pre-recorded final because uh, the COVID got the better of us. We weren't a- able to have our live final. Um, but this is the third season of the podcast. So we held 10 competitions just as one-off events between 2006 and 2015. We had a few fallow years and then we revived Second Cherry in 2019 with the addition of this podcast. Mm. So we hope that you are enjoying it. Now, we are, we're trendsetters as well. So if you're coming new to Second Cherry, we can guarantee you that we will break Eurovision acts for you <laughs> before they're in Eurovision. Oh, yes. Tell us, Monty, who have been the big stars of Eurovision that Second Cherry, well, I don't want to overplay it, but discovered. Well, yeah, we had them first. I mean, big stars. We're talking huge, huge stars. <laughs> Conchita Wurst. Absolutely. She was in Second Cherry before she was a Eurovision winner. Lorraine from mm-hmm. Sweden. Uh, the, the Russian Grannies. Oh my God, They yes. were in Second Cherry uh, with uh, their song before um, before Party for Everybody. Um, further Eurovision winners like Mont Selmelo. Um, Jamala was in Second Cherry. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, Sergei Lazarev. We had him all the way back in 2008 
Yeah, a long time. Mm. And at the same time, he was playing that year at Birmingham LGBT Pride. Wow. I'll just leave that one there. <laughs> yes. We don't always get it right, though, because we also had the track shooters before they were in Eurovision. <laughs> and they came last in their semi-final. But hey, we've had some stars. <laughs> don't say that we don't bring you the trends before they happen. So let's get into it. The Eurovision 2021, it happened. It's done. What is it now at time of recording? Two weeks ago? Almost two weeks ago. So yeah, just over two weeks when this podcast comes out. A little bit later on, if you're listening on the podcast radio. Yes. So uh, yeah, we obviously record this at different times. But we're... um, So Italy, of course, won. And we'll get into that a little bit later about what we think about that. But it's... uh, Obviously, a popular winner. That's the whole point of it winning. It was popular. <laughs> and got the most points, didn't it? Got it? the most points. There you go. It's the winner. Undisputed. Um, but I think, you know, what I want to bring up with you, Monty, and have a little chat about, first of all, Eurovision, the production, and how they brought the show together. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I was so impressed. The fact that, A, we got a Eurovision Song Contest, and B, it kind of went off without a hitch. Now, I know there'll be some people saying, well, people got COVID and there were some acts that couldn't perform um, at certain times. But all in all, I think that was kind of bound to happen, actually. And all in all, the way it was dealt with, everything from the production, the way uh, it was put together, the VTs, everything, the postcards, was just exceptional. And I think to pull that off under that amount of pressure, that all the eyes of the world are on you... The, you know, the broadcasters came together and done really well. What do you think? Absolutely that. I mean, I think it is a, a, a miracle that they pulled it off and in under such circumstances. You know, we know that there was lots of different scenarios planned and some plan B, plan C, plan D. We got more or less a kind of plan B, I think. You know, we got most of the artists there in Rotterdam and once they were there we got most of them on stage live. Australia obviously couldn't travel but extenuating circumstances and unfortunately Iceland did um, become affected by the Covid policy and they couldn't perform live on stage but they had managed to record that fantastic recording mm. of a brilliant rehearsal yeah. you know I when they, when they slotted it into the show if you didn't know that that was a, an on-tape performance, you wouldn't have been able to tell in terms of the running order of the show. Yeah. I think they did really well with it. Yeah, and I think they're told, aren't they? This is your rehearsal. This, If anything goes wrong, this is what's going to get shown. So just do, do a good run for us, guys. And they, and they did. So, yeah. And I think it showed the fact that the organisers had clearly planned out for every eventuality. And a couple of those eventualities came to pass. But the alternative planning came in, and I think they did a great job. I think I read somewhere that, of, you know, considering if you think about all of the people who were working on the show, who were on the ground, 500 journalists, all the 39 delegations, all the staff, all the volunteers, all the crew, everybody who's working on site there were being tested every two days for COVID. And I think they had 16 positive tests out of the many thousands of tests that they would do. That is pretty incredible. Yeah. And it meant that they caught those cases in advance. They took precaution where 
a positive test or a, a suspected test was um, was, a, was was identified, which also impacted, for example, on the the red carpet event. Some of the mm. uh, some of the delegations weren't able to take part, in that. and I think that's a great shame. But it showed how on top of the protocol the organisers were, and I thought that, I just thought it was really really well planned, well executed. And oh my God, what a result! What a result in terms of the programs they delivered. Mm. Just amazing, absolutely joyful this year. It was so lovely to have them back. Absolutely. Now we did have some hosts this year. There were four, which seems to be like a reoccurring number of hosts <laughs> at Eurovision, and it doesn't always work very well. But I think by and large, it did. Now, what have you got? You've got Chantelle Janssen, uh, Jan Schmidt. Edcilio Romble and Nikki Diega, also known as Nikki Tutorials. Now, I think there's one person who stands out for us. Now, I did think way back when, when this was all announced, that Edcilia, who I do love and was brilliant, I thought she was going to steal the show. But she kind of, she kind of didn't because someone else did. Who was that one too? She certainly did. Nikki. Oh my gosh. Nikki was announced as the online host last year. And she did some YouTube videos with the artists, even though it was cancelled last year. And I think the success of that elevated her to being a full host this year. Not just a green room host, an actual full, you know, full equal billing host. And she was amazing. I just think, you know, this lineup of hosts truly did celebrate diversity. Unlike Ukraine in 2017, <laughs> with their tagline, Celebrate Diversity, and three white male hosts. You know, we, Nikki was the first uh, openly trans host of the show, and I just think she was lovely. And all the things she did in the Look Lab, the little videos on YouTube with all of the artists, every single bit of what she did was an absolute class act. And I absolutely love the fact that she had blended into her outfits a little nod to the trans flag colours in every one of those three onstage outfits. Absolutely sublime. Just a tiny little gesture means so much Mm. in terms of the visibility of people who are watching who may be from trans and non-binary communities or are supportive of trans and non-binary visibility. Yeah, and I think it's something which I hope we see more of that in the future. But the thing, the thing about Nikki for me was just her warmth, the way that she spoke to the artist. It wasn't she's there to do a job and she's delivering it well and, and professionally. Of course she did. She is professional. But there was that underlying sort of current of she really cares about the artist and she wants all of them to do well. And it wasn't um, disingenuous. It was really genuine. And I just, I love that. And I know that obviously we are going to Italy next year and the host will change, but if some way we can still retain Nikki to maybe do online stuff, or I don't know, it would be great to have her still knocking about the contest because she has fitted in perfectly. It would be lovely to see her connected with the EBU side of it. Yes. You know, so she could be a kind of perma host or, or a, you know, not necessarily, she, she wouldn't make a host on stage, but to do some of that online um, stuff. So yeah, the EBU social team, if you're listening, have a word, get her in there. <laughs> I mean, the Italians are going to obviously want to bring their own flavour um, to the shows. Yes, and we and want that as well. Stage, and we absolutely want that. I mean, you know, it's... The, oh, I mean, the, the the prospect of what we might get, yeah. <laughs> given what we see in San Remo and 
the memories of 1991 when they last hosted. It just fills me with absolute joy because I, I just don't know. I mean, it's going to be a far more professional show because Eurovision is a different beast now. You know, the EBU are going to monitor that yes. to within a nanosecond of its life, but you're still going to get a bit of that rogue Italian character that's going to creep into it and make it characterful, make it exciting. Yes, and we're, and we're going to Italy next year because of the music. So let's jump into that. Let's have a look at the Eurovision highlights for us. Let's start with Italy then. Monskin and Zitti e Buoni. Good winner for you? Yes, it is. And I'm a little bit surprised at that because it's not really my style of music. But there's just, it ticks so many boxes. Musically, it's brilliant. It's so entertaining. was so well presented. Had a hint of glorious filth about it. It sort of <laughs> seemed to just sort of ooze sex and, and ooze charisma and coolness on stage. I absolutely love the outfits. I mean, when I saw them in rehearsal, it was just a, a wow moment. Mm. I thought it was really good. I was hoping that they would do well. I wasn't necessarily sure that they had enough to win because of it being in a style that's not readily associated with Eurovision. But, you know, apart from the fact that it's a big five, with, apart from the fact it's kind of like, you know, one of those old countries that hasn't won for a long time, proving that anybody can win in the sense of who you are, it also proves that absolutely anything can win Eurovision. Mm. You don't have to be in a typical star. And I think for me, it just cements the fact that you cannot write a song to order. This was a song that's a monoskin song that is authentic to them and what they're doing as a group, that they happen to enter into Sanremo because it gives them an amazingly huge platform domestically in Italy. It's gone on to win. It's gone on to win. It's gone on to win Sanremo. It's gone on to win Eurovision. And it's. I just love it for that because this is not... Uh, this is not something which you're trying to cram into the mould or trying to, to find the formula for. Mm, and I think it's really important for a band like Morniskin to win because I think it represents something that Eurovision could become or an, an extra sort of element to Eurovision where cooler bands, call it what you wish, because there are lots of people that still think Eurovision isn't very cool, it's a bit kitsch, it's a bit camp, and it's like, it can be those things... And that there were songs, certainly, certainly songs like that this year on stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not all-encompassing. It doesn't define what Eurovision is. And to have a winner like this is hugely important. We'll come on to some of the reasons why that is important later in the podcast. But 
it's very good for Eurovision, I think, that this song won. There'll be people who will be balking at that idea that this might open up the possibility of more rock and not enough camp coming into Eurovision. <laughs> and I totally understand that. But I think Eurovision, it, it, a little bit like how Melody Festival and the Swedish selection has moved on from that typical historic schlager genre into something much more diverse um, and much cooler. I think this is an indication of Eurovision maturing, developing, evolving. Yeah, I, the Eurovision Gay Mafia will not allow it. Look, there's going to be camp, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got our feet under the table, <laughs> well, we've got our high heels firmly under that table, <laughs> there will always be camp. So one uh, song you really liked, Monty, what was that? Was This is definitely a highlight for you. Oh, my, it's Russia. I, I'm a Russophile at heart, Culturally, I like the I like what Russia is. I it, and I think we for a long time have viewed Russia, contemporary Russia, through the prism of its government, and we had Manisha coming along with her song "Russian Woman," which just blasts apart all of the stereotypes you think about what contemporary Russia is and what contemporary Russians are thinking. This is a song that kind of almost got there by accident, um, you know, because of the way that Russia selected their song. It, we felt it was going to be Little Big, the act who were selected last year um, for the cancelled competition. And then right at the last minute, we suddenly had a national final in Russia with three three artists and, and Manisha was one of them. And this is the kind of song that you think if the government were very much in control of it, they'd never have sent anything like this. This doesn't chime with Putin's conservatism um, or family values. And really, this is telling women that they can be who they want to be, that they don't need to rely on anybody else. They don't need to depend on anybody else. And it was just an artistic piece of genius on stage. Everything from the art on the backdrop to the enormous oversized dress that she was entrapped by but then <laughs> stepped out of as if she's stepping away from all the confinements of the expectations that society places on women and saying no I we can do this what I mean the lyrics are literally that you know what are you waiting for come on stand up let's go mm. it's a call to arms for the modern Russian woman to embrace who you are and chuck all of that crap out of the window about what society and other people expect you to be. I'm so pleased this came in the top 10 because of some of the stick that she got mm. as an artist, as an artist who was uh, an immigrant artist. Um, her family had moved to Russia um, uh, because they were displaced by war um, from Tajikistan. And also, you know, the message not chiming with the conservative politicians. And I just think, you know, she goes back with a top 10 result. That is perfect. Yeah. And her personality shone through from start to finish, not just in the song, but some of the stuff that we saw on social media. You know, she was knocking about the arena and stuff. She was a very popular figure. Um, I welcome it. I welcome this kind of thing from Russia. It's... Uh, if Russia are very good at the PR game, and uh, I think that inadvertently 
this is really good for you, Russia. Think about what this is doing for you. I don't know. Just just putting it out there. It's good for an image of Russia. That's not the image that Putin and his government want to project. Well, quite. But, so I, I think it's good for Russia, but not necessarily the kind of propaganda that the Russian state would typically endorse. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, should we just do a little snippet of that? Let's have a little listen. Russian woman by Manisha. So another highlight, Monty, is, um, well, we think San Marino and Sanit featuring Flo Rida with her song Adrenalina. My face is just lighting up with joy at the moment. You know, if you can see us in this, I oh, I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this song. And I know her results wasn't necessarily what we think. We'll come to that uh, a little later in the in the episode. But this was just bonkers pop. I mean, if you want camp and you want frivolity, it's there. But it's there in a kind of contemporary way. It's I don't know how to quite describe it. It, There was so much going on on stage, (laughs) but there was just so much happiness and joy. Mm. And who knew that the thing we needed to boost Eurovision 2021 was an American rapper who'd never heard of the damn show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love the, you know... Obviously, they you know cleared with the EBU in advance that you know we might have him, we might not have him, we might not him to to list point in the show, and he he didn't turn up for the first round. So fair enough. All he had to do was get on stage and do what he does yeah. and slot it into the song and being told to stand there, walk here, do your bit here, and you know an artist like that can can turn that on. You don't mm. need to be there for the early rehearsals. And I just thought it added something so unexpected and so. It's such a lot of energy to the song. I'm I'm gutted by the result actually, because um, I thought this deserved so much higher. Um, not least because of all the work that you know she put into the creative process, not just on stage but the whole lead up to it. Sinead's freaky trip to Rotterdam, her year long one a month song drops and yeah. Eurovision covers in bonkers style and. Just so much creativity going on. I, yeah, I absolutely adore this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was one of these things where you think, oh, she hasn't done as well as maybe she expected. I think they they wanted to qualify and they were hoping top 10. Speaking to the delegation, that's what they wanted. 
and then and you think well that's not out of the realms of possibility that's not you can could have seen that happening and I think so there is probably some disappointment in the camp with this one but I think it's worth saying that this was such a strong year after we saw all the staging that came with the songs there were certain songs that were quite average and then the staging kind of raised a song and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. it was so close that I think even if you came you know even 20th you know, it was a good song. You know, it really was such a tough year and the smallest of margins. So I think they can be proud, though. It was, they gave us bonkers, but they gave it with confidence and with energy and with quite a good song underlying all of the bonkers stuff going on the stage. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad she came. I'm glad that that's what she's known for because I didn't like her previous song when she entered a few years ago. Uh, quite a few years ago now. Ten years ago, yeah, yeah there was nothing to it. There was, it you know, it didn't do well, and and it deserved that. But yeah, bless her for coming back and really delivering. So, next song we want to highlight is Ukraine, and oh my god, uh, Shum is the name of the song. Is that noise? It's noise. Noise. Yeah. Shum, uh, by Goe. <laughs> Well, this was a bit of a surprise because it's one of those songs that is a bit, I don't know, it's a bit out there. It's, you know, it was very much in its own zone, (laughs) its own sort of bubble of this is what I am, this is what I do as a song. And I think people just bought into it because it had a a, a point of difference. Um, Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. I love the fact that Katerina, the singer, was deadpan stare down the camera very fierce that eastern european fierceness that we spoke about before in the podcast um but they softened that with everything that was going on around it it was a very very clever staging brilliant song that really got everyone going it was just right for eurovision what what do you think well you say it's a surprise and i have to disagree with you okay it was not a surprise to me i always expected this to was going to do well I had it at the bookies for a top four placing. It came fifth, so I just missed out on my bet, which is um, a bit disappointing. Um, but I, yeah, I always thought that this would really lift the arena. Um, I, I think there's something about the kind of the blend of the almost techno style with the the, the folk singing, mm. it's just, it just works for me. And I knew that when people saw it in that setting, it would just come alive and people would respond much more to it. Absolutely love it. We're going to talk a little bit about charts later on, but this has been a massive success for a Ukrainian act. Just, just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. We're sticking with Eastern Europe. Um, Serbia was, this was a surprise for me, I have to say, and Hurricane, the girl group, with their song Loco Loco. Mm-hmm. 
another joy for me, and it's yeah, it's one of the camp songs. It's one of the you know, it's the the girl groups. It's the girl pop singers. But I just again just joy. I just thought this came alive on stage. It had so much energy. Perhaps even more so in the semi final um, than the final. And um, I you know I remember we were getting the um, we were getting comments in from friends on WhatsApp who were watching it in various um, of London's homosexualist imbibing emporia <laughs> <laughs> at the two brewers in Clapham and, uh, and various other places and just said it, it absolutely went off. You know, the, the, the gay male crowd absolutely loved it. Oh, yeah. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Three women checking their hair around in, in abandon <laughs> and the gays loved it. I, it was just Again, just joyful, happy pop song, performed so well. Mm. These women work well together. They're all great vocalists and they're all right. And when you put them together, they work well. And because they're in a group and they've got experience of performing together, they bounced off one another and they worked in perfect harmony. Absolute happiness, absolute energy. Brilliant. Yeah, and I want to just pick up on the point. I heard some people describing this online about being, you know, it's great, it's camp, it's cheap, it's chips. Actually, no, I don't think this is cheap, actually. I don't think it is because the level of performance that you just said was so high. That was full choreo. The vocals, that is not an easy vocal. There were heart, tight harmonies that were ever-changing and it was, it was, it could have been an absolute mess on stage and they just kept a lid on it just enough until the end when they really went for it. It was just, it was really, really good. It is cheap though. It was just a classy performance of a cheap song. <laughs> okay, <then. laughs> but I, I in, in the way that I adore cheap, yeah. I absolutely adore everything. About I just didn't it. want to diminish. Yeah. Cheap is not a slur. No, no, no. I, mean, I don't want to diminish because that was pure <laughs> talent on stage. Yeah. Really, really. So yeah, so the next song we want to talk about is um, Cyprus. Elena Zagnu with her song El Diablo. Well, we all love to fall in love with a bad boy, don't we? (laughs) This was my favourite song going in. And on the rehearsals podcast, this was a song I highlighted as a surprise because I was just so impressed with how she performed it on stage. And I, I, I think maybe by the time it got to the final, we'd seen it all the way through rehearsal and everything. It maybe lost its energy. And I think it, it... Coming first is a hard task. I think um, in the final, it was just too early and it that's the reason it didn't fe- feature in the mix of the, you know, the runners and riders at the end. Um, but it, it's just a brilliant pop song. And I know it's derivative. I know it's, you know, it sounds like Gaga from a decade ago, but I love Gaga yeah. from a decade ago. And I, that's exactly the reason that I absolutely love this. Brilliant performance, you know all of the all of the hype and the controversy with the Orthodox Church in in Cyprus. I was a little bit 
disappointed that that had all dampened down by the time the final came around because <laughs> that would have been quite a little nice sort of side story going on to yeah. you know to, to to boost it a little bit but yeah just yeah perfect yeah nothing to add there a, lovely just so happy to see Cypress again bringing a sort of sound that we're used to mm-hmm. but yeah yeah really really strong by them again a country which Monty you really really have been impressed with this year and an artist you're really impressed with is the Netherlands Jean-Gu McCroy with his song Birth of a New Age. you're a fan you're a fan aren't you I am a fan of this and I'm a fan of him Um, and I'm a fan of his song from last year as well his song last year kind of crept up on me and took me a little bit by surprise by the time the the, by the time the time that Eurovision would have been Mm. came around I think it was probably my favourite song last year yeah well, the song was called Grow yes and I won it and, and it was it, it, it did grow it, 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 it was a grow up me. Yeah, yeah absolutely um, and so I was really interested to see what he brought back this year and when I first saw it I didn't like it but when I saw the video the next day it's just majestic and there's something about the beauty of this song where he's bringing in history he's bringing in culture he's bringing in identity he's bringing in resilience he's tapping into the themes that are happening in the global social justice movement at the moment, and he's being a, a clearly queer artist on stage as well. Yeah, there's just so much blending there. Um, into for me, this was an incredibly powerful performance. I am gutted that it didn't score particularly well, but I think it was a hard thing to sell. I think you know you're you're cramming so much meaning into your three minutes on stage. And I think it perhaps needs a little bit more to appreciate everything that's being served there. Mm. It's just, this was a beautiful moment. I think, you know, what I love is that Jean-Gu had nothing to prove. Netherlands had won in the last contest and he was being given the stage and basically kind of told, do what you want. And he did something not just a throwaway pop song, but something that had absolute meaning for him and his country and his culture. And I adore him for doing that. Yeah, I think his song last year was quite a slow ballad grower, like we said, um, very soft and tender. And then this was a completely new thing. I'm glad that he didn't try and do the same thing over again. Um, but still very much a song that he would do. I also think that for me, that what just sums it up is just pride. The one word that sums up his pride in every way that you look at that. He was on stage being himself. They, as in the Netherlands, can be very, very proud of, of Jean-Gu. Yeah. So there are the songs that we wanted to speak about, but I think it is just worth giving a nod to some of the other songs that were there. Um, France came second. Their best result since they tied for number one, but finished second on the comeback in 1991, 30 years ago. 
Switzerland came third, uh, their best placing since 1993. Um, Iceland had a fantastic placement, even though, you know, they weren't able to be on stage. Finland, their second best placing ever, yeah, um, wow. or equaling their, 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 their second best. Um, obviously, they won in 2006. Malta, great result for Malta. Um, perhaps not the result that they were expecting, but we'll come to that. Um, Lithuania, top 10 placing for the Lithuania. I just think there were so many songs in the top 10 that achieved brilliant results after a long period of time for their countries. Mm. So maybe there's hope for some of those other countries, whoever they may be, who aren't doing so well at Eurovision. So that preamble was probably leading us into talking about (laughs) the United Kingdom. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is our country, and obviously we have to to acknowledge it. Poor James. No points from the telephone. No points from the juries. And the first country to score nul point under the new voting system, which many people said would probably never happen, but... Here we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do think it's worth addressing the the big topic that came out of this because I had a few discussions with people online, friends, family who said the same thing and it was, but we didn't deserve zero points. And so I kind of feel like you, you do need to sort of understand the way the voting works because, you know, without getting into the technical maths of it all, you know, you have to be in somebody's top 10 in order to get some points. So, you know, in a very strong year, you know, you can be everyone's 11th place and you get zero points, you get nil poire. And I think that's kind of the point that people need to remember when it comes to the UK, especially this year. Yeah, Eurovision maths is a complicated uh, um, calculation. And you're absolutely right. You could be dead 11th with every juror, but you get no points. So you're nowhere near the bottom of their list, but you just don't get into those top 10. James wasn't quite 11th with everybody. He was 11th with one jury. <clears throat> he was 11th with the Polish jury. Yeah. So he narrowly missed out on getting a point from Poland. But I think the average was, he was around 18th um, with the jurors, um, which again is, you know, nowhere near bottom, but just not anywhere near the top 10. And I think people forget that. There are 26 countries in the final. Every time a country votes, only 10 countries get votes. 15 or 16, depending on whether the country voting is in the final or not, don't get any points. So you're more likely to not get any points at Eurovision than you are to get any from a particular jury. Um, and yeah, it's it, it is harsh. I think the way that the the votes were read out. It did make it feel as though nobody voted for us mm. at all, whereas some people did. We didn't score very well in the televote, if you look at the average, but I don't think we were last on average. I think we were about 23rd on average. Yeah, 23rd was our average. Best, the best televote we got was 14th, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's kind of going... And, and it was just going back to the the jury uh, results, the an individual drawer that was part of a panel of jury mm-hmm. did give 
him third place so mm-hmm. there are some people that like the song and gave it in their top 10 but the overall panel yeah. is is averaged and so so you know there's there's i know we're clutching the strongs here because at the at, at the end of the day you know it was quite a middle of the road song mm-hmm. that just didn't have the same impact so you know i'm british and i had it even though i like the song i've listened to it loads and loads i love it but it was still sort of hovering around my 20th sort of place that sort of places so and it's like, and I'm British, and I and I liked it. So, what yeah. does that say about people who have no other cause to vote for it? Yeah, um, and ch- I challenge anybody really to say this was one of the top songs I liked. Therefore, I'm going to pick up the phone and vote for it. Yeah, like, you, you know, can't. It's a nice enough song, but it didn't really have that call to to vote. I am gutted for him though, because James did. Such a good job of being a good ambassador and a good sport for Eurovision. And I love the way that, you know, in all of the the hullabaloo and the noise around, oh, Europe hates us. He's just cut through that and went, do you know what? Maybe they just didn't like the song. And I think that's absolutely the right attitude. You know, I mean, it, somebody may have got to him and said, you know, this is the thing you need to say. You know, if that was Lee at the BBC, well done, mate. Yeah. Because, you know, he has not blamed it on anything else and he has talked about what an amazing time he had and I believe him in that I believe he had the time of his life and I hope that you know he sees this as a worthwhile thing to have done even if he didn't get the result that he might have been hoping for but let's stick on the voting for a while I think there's a few things I want to pick out about the voting and that is how split it was when we went in to Eurovision this year everybody was saying I can't pick a winner and I think that the votes are going to be all over the place and absolutely that's what happened the 12 points were shared between 15 countries by the jury wow so 15 different countries got the 12 France and Switzerland got eight 12s each and obviously they came second and third overall that Italy got four 12s from the jury and um, so Italy was up there but actually the jury were backing France and Italy, as we saw from the the end of the France and Switzerland. Sorry, France and Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the televoting, the twelves were shared amongst thirteen different countries, and you had four countries: Italy, Lithuania, Serbia, and Ukraine, who all got five twelves each in the televote. So that is so spread out. Yeah. You know, there wasn't really songs that were, it was standing out for. It was, it was split as we predicted it to be. And that's not, it's not surprising. And I think when people pre-contest were saying, come then Matt, you know, you know, in the week leading up to Eurovision, what, what, who money, what's your money on? What, what should I, what, what bet should I put on? And I was like, uh, normally I have an answer ready to go, but. I don't know, safe money is on this person, but then maybe put a little, each wee bit on this person. Mm-hmm. Like, you just couldn't call it. It was so interesting. Yeah. And I'm so glad it panned out as such. Yeah. And some televoting surprises. I mean, we've alluded to these already, talking about the songs. San Marino's televote was an enormous disappointment to me. She only got 17 points in the televote. And I think that, you know, they really were expecting a lot more than that. Maybe it was too over the top. Maybe it was the running order because they were last. And I think that is too late. I think you've got to get near the end, but not right at the end to score. But 17 points to only finish in 22nd place. That was disappointing. But I think the biggest televoting surprise of the night was Malta 
a big, big pre-contest favourite that we expected the viewers to perhaps back more than the juries. The juries gave it, they showered points upon it, and she only got 47 points from the televote. Yeah, that's seventh place. Seventh place. I mean, seventh place is good. Don't get me wrong. In that lineup, seventh place is good. And I never saw Malta as a winner, but I think that's a big disappointment for the Maltese delegation. For sure. I did have it as a winner. And the thing I said to you, didn't I, Monty? I think that it's not going to win the televote. It's not going to win the jury, but it's going to do well in both and therefore sneak in and grab the win. Um, but yeah, 47 points, that's low. That's a low mark for a song that was sung exceptionally well. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, there's lots of things going around my head about why that might be, but yeah, yeah just interesting. That's really interesting. Hmm. And one other thing I think to just mention in the voting, um, the UK spokesperson, Amanda Holden, I mean, she was <sighs> trending on Twitter still the next day for how bad she was making a joke about you know foreign languages and not being able to tell one from the other and just sounding so culturally ignorant yeah yeah and then just as a cherry on top just making like a self like oh you know trashing eurovision like it's camp it's kitchen and then saying you know oh that's just me i think you are there for a reason and you've just pooed all over that reason yeah you, all you got to do is just stand up. And even if you even if you want to make a joke about your language and how terrible it is, you sort of make it self-deprecating, like, oh, I'm really sorry. Um, I hope I didn't spoil, you know, I hope I didn't ruin that language. Mm. Really sorry. You make something of it like that, but you don't just like, oh, you know. Do you know, I will always leap to try and put more nuance around the argument that Europe hates us. But after seeing Amanda Holden deliver those points, I hate. I us. think they probably got a point. <laughs> I hate us. I was honest. I was so furious, and I'm not a massive fan of Amanda Holden. I don't know. I, I, she's meh to me. Mm. But that really annoyed me. I was like, you've just. Pl- that's the playbook. That's the Eurovision playbook. So when people say, you know, everyone in Europe hates us, well, you've just fed into that. And when you look at the other way, and you know, Eurovision is camp and crap and blah blah blah. Well, you've just fed into that as well. Like you've done no good there. Just. Get off the screen, woman. So where does the United Kingdom go next? I think stick to what we're doing. Because remember, we're kind of in this plan. There is a plan in place. I know people saying there's no plan. We don't know what we're doing. Well, no, there, there is a plan in place. We brought on BMG, the record label, last year. And with a view that it was a project, we were there at the launch, actually, of uh, James last year. And we spoke to the team and they sort of said, you know, this is kind of what we're doing, guys. What do you think? And it was really interesting to chat to them. And you sort of saw on their faces that we really, really want to do well. Make no bones about it, guys. Don't think, oh, they don't want to win. Like the BBC team that do Eurovision, they want to win and they're doing everything that they can to do it. It's a hard thing to pull off, though. But having this project in place, it's a long-term thing or a slightly longer-term thing. And they, I think, what we from here, to answer your question, where do we go from here is, well, look at not just what happened to James, expa- explain to the industry why that was, but also look at the winners. Look at Moniskin, right? Look at what they've done since and where they're going and 
the sound they put out and how it was received. Those are sort of things that I think we'd need to do as the next stage of the plan. I absolutely agree. I'm so glad that you said stick to the plan because so many people have got an opinion on this. We should do this. We should do that. I don't know what style of music to send. I don't know what kind of song, what kind of artist, but I think we should stick to the plan. We've got this. The BBC have come up with this plan. It hasn't worked at this stage. Who knows? James may probably have had a better result with some last year with the lineup of songs that were there. Um, but because something hasn't worked at your first attempt, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Stick to the plan and see if it yields better results the next time around. Because it was always meant to be an incremental plan. And, well, let's face it, there's only one way it can go after this result. <laughs> but yeah, stick with it. You know... Lots of different views on what style of song it should be. But I think, you know, if you look at all the top songs, it was all artists doing songs that fitted them. It wasn't somebody going, hey, let's write an upbeat song to try and, you know, capture the mood of Eurovision. They're all songs that these artists would have sung anyway. They just happen to be in Eurovision and competing for a prize. Mm. But Munti, there are some positives for the, the acts that did quite well this year. Let's look at sort of the aftermath of Eurovision, where we are now and what's been going on with Eurovision, viewing figures, stuff like that, but also charts. It's been interesting. It has indeed. I mean, the charts are really fascinating, you know, and now we've had, I think it's, you know, the charts maybe don't mean as much as they used to. And I think we've got more dynamic uh, reflections of what's happening in, the, in real time with things like the iTunes charts, the Spotify charts. And I think they give us a broader picture who's dipping in to you know go oh actually that was from there let me just hear some of the songs um Moniskin are doing amazingly I mean they're in every chart everywhere it would seem you know even in the UK the the winning song charted at number 17 in the first week after Eurovision we've just had the charts out today as we're recording this the second week after Eurovision they're still in they've slipped from 17 to 24 uh sorry to 25 with the Eurovision song but they've got a second song in the charts at number 24 I mean that's incredible Dathy Freya is in the top 100 uh, for the second week in a row. Everything else has slipped out. But if you look at the viral charts on, on Spotify, there's some fascinating things happening. Mm. I mean, Ukraine are going great guns on the Spotify chart. They've been a real viral hit. And I absolutely love this for them. But on the Spotify global viral chart, which I checked today which is almost two weeks after the competition, you've got Ukraine, Italy, France, Switzerland, Azerbaijan, Finland, Cyprus, Lithuania, Iceland and Malta, all in the Spotify viral top 50. Plus, there are seven songs in there by Modiskin. Wow. So almost everything on their latest album is a viral hit. If you want success from Eurovision... Mona Skin have it in buckets. Even in the UK, you've got Italy, Ukraine, Finland, France, Switzerland, Germany, Lithuania, Cyprus, Iceland, Malta, Azerbaijan, Russia, Norway, Moldova, and Israel in the UK viral 
charts. Wow. So the weekly many. viral charts. Plus Fairy Tale by Alexander Rebak <laughs> making a comeback. So there's a, a, a Eurovision there. And of course, Duncan is still floating around. Duncan Lawrence from uh, 2019 with Arcade. I just think that that's brilliant. You know, it hasn't necessarily translated into the, you know, the sales charts and the the actual, you know, chart. these are the reflections of kind of what people are listening to and, you know, what's being picked up by people. But that's brilliant. That's the way music works now. Yeah, but this is what artists are interested in this stuff. This is the stuff that we should be telling anybody who's interested in Eurovision or not interested in mm-hmm. Euro- Eurovision, if they're specifically not. That, well, wait a minute. Don't don't just leave your preconceptions at the door about what Eurovision is. Think about what it could be and what it can do for your career. Moleskin, in fact, they've actually come out and said, "Guys, it's great. I don't know why you guys aren't doing it." <laughs> Lol. You know, they, they are. It's really important that a band like Moleskin has won Eurovision because it sets a precedent about what this is and what it can be. And also, viewing figures are up. I mean. It may be that, you know, we didn't have Eurovision for a year and everyone was like, you know, oh, we're sure. back and, you know, we're still in various stages of lockdown. But actually, in the UK, that Saturday was the first Saturday night after we could go back inside the pubs. So people would be in the pub. It was the same Saturday night as Glastonbury was trying to stream. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had a bit of an issue. <laughs> a little bit of an issue. But they just smashed it. You know, this in the UK... This was almost half of the, pretty much half of the available TV audience. Half the people in the UK who were watching TV were watching Eurovision on that Saturday night. And it was by far the biggest show um, of the night. Absolutely brilliant. Do you know how many people watched in Iceland? How many of the people who were watching TV in Iceland at that time were watching Eurovision? I don't know. It's always really high though. But it's exceptionally high right. this year. 99.9% of Icelandic televiewers wow. were watching Eurovision at that particular time. That is... What was the other 0.1% yeah. doing? What, yeah. what was on the other channels? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were... I don't know. They broke down and they were on the road somewhere. <laughs> no, they were people who were watching... That's just oh, no. Sorry. Yes, of course. No, they were watching. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So 0.1% were watching some other... Goth on Icelandic television. No, 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 I got it. They must have fell asleep. Forgot to change the channel. channel. They've leaned on their remote control and (laughs) accidentally (laughs) turned it onto a quiz show. What's the Icelandic equivalent of 3 2 1? (laughs) (laughs) Just amazing. But I mean, you know, the the Eurovision TV site has got stats and geekery and all sorts of things on there. It's just brilliant. I think it was an absolute joy. And you could hear it, you know. I mean, we, we obviously heard it with the UK commentary, Graham Norton. But he was full of joy about Eurovision this year. He was. And I loved it. Wasn't he more... Not positive. It, you're right, it was full of joy. It's still Graham with his little jibes, which are fine. That's what people... Sarcastic. He yeah. talks about ridiculous things that are happening. Yeah, but I think this year... I think he was... I've, I said this to you before the contest, didn't I, Monty, where I felt like he might be becoming like Wogan was and getting a bit tired of it all and a bit fed up and it's just starting to show in his commentary. Well, no, not at all. This year, it was... He seemed just as pleased as anyone else that he was back and Eurovision was back and it was just very joyful and still got a bit of comments in there that were really funny. Um, <laughs> I need to watch it back again, actually, just to pick up on it, but yeah... Very happy for everyone all round that Eurovision yeah. has returned to 
our screens. And I love that, you know, the the, the handful of killjoys who did complain to the BBC yeah. about it, you know, got very short shrift. I mean, the BBC were very clearly, this was a brilliant TV audience for us and it's exceptionally good value TV. You know, for next to nothing, they get three evenings of primetime TV, this Saturday night of which is pretty much the biggest show of the week for them. Why on earth would the BBC drop this? Yeah, don't be silly. Yeah. It's great. So there you are. That's our little review of Eurovision 2021. Now, this was kind of the last of our bonus episodes. We are back next week with the first episode of 2021 second cherry proper Woo, this is this is what we do guys this is this is it we we show you the songs that didn't make it to eurovision and then next week we're going to be looking at albania as a country and their national final festivali kinges we will be picking one song from the festivali kinges to be our albanian cherry we have actually selected it but i can't remember what it is no, I so I'm going to have to tune into the show next week <laughs> so I can find out <laughs> what we actually chose. Don't worry. I'll tell him before we record it, guys. Don't worry. Um, we're glad that you've joined us uh, for our final bonus episode. So we're going to get into what we would normally do. We've so, done about 75 bonus episodes this season. We've really kind of edged you all, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> But we are, we are properly here now. And um, if you're interested, contact us. Tell us what you thought about the year or what you're, what you're expecting from the series. Is there countries that you want us to do? Um, but yeah, you can contact us on Twitter, at Second Cherry. Instagram, Second underscore Cherry. Facebook, Second Cherry Podcast. And you can also email us. And our email address is... Hello! At secondcherry.vision. That's... Hello! At secondcherry.vision. Now it's .vision, not .com. .com is for losers. Thank you very much. You can also check out the website secondcherry.vision where you can listen to all of our previous episodes and series, our bonus episodes, our regular episodes. You can read a little bit about the history of Second Cherry as an event and now as a podcast. And you can wallow in oodles (laughs) of us. And you can, you can check out very flattering uh, black and white photos of me and Monty. So. <laughs> Ooh, didn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah. So there we are, guys. We hope you tune in next week. And um, yeah, stay safe and we'll, we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.